my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it into pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to, ground, to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O God, in your anger. Lift up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the people be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to the oh, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil, is pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, in his own skull his violence descends. I will give the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Houston. Uh, like Holly said, the pastor of preaching and teaching at Eastside. Just saying in advance, I'm sorry. Like the fun part of my crew is not here. And my daughter Stella, she talked about my wife Kinsey. Just me today. I get it. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Um, we had, uh, I don't know if, if you haven't heard yet this morning, uh, they were locked out of the, the booth where all the, the, some of the tech equipment is, the breakers. Um, so like this wonderful job that they just did was in like 10 minutes of prep time. Uh, yeah, it was really wonderful. No and Katie did a great job. Tech team, like 10 minutes of prep time. These guys are incredible. These guys are so great. Uh, yeah, applause would be, yeah. See, they, they're so professional, they wouldn't even tell you that it was so last minute. Uh, it was funny though, because like, for a minute I was going to have to preach with no microphone, and, and this would not be the first time this year that I've had to preach without a microphone because of technical problems. And I told Nate, like, we're in luck because you probably got the loudest preacher in all of Madison Multiply to be here on this day. So, I've got a microphone, so buckle up, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, uh, here we are in the, the, the last week of our Madison Multiply series, Prayers for Our City, and the whole uh, idea behind this series is that we're getting together all three churches, and we're talking about praying for Madison, Wisconsin, for, for Dane County, and, and we're looking at different things to pray for, looking at how the Bible teaches us to pray for different things. You know, praying for mercy, like Pastor Nate preached, praying for unity, like James from the uh, vine, praying for boldness, like Zach, praying for workers for the harvest, like Ben. And today we're going to talk about praying for justice, praying for justice. And the, the whole idea behind this series 
is, is we asked, Nate especially asked, hey, what happens if all three of our churches come together and, and we pray for the city of Madison, we pray really intentionally for five things that the Bible tells us to pray for, what's going to happen? I mean, I'm really excited. I'm excited. You know, this is the tail end of the series, but I'm excited to see what God has done and what he is going to do through this series. And with each of these, you know, we're recognizing this need that our city has, and we're bringing it to God. And, and again, the hope is that, man, he's going to move. He's going to act. We believe that he hears prayers, that he listens, and we wonder what he's going to do. And that's incredible, right? I'm really excited. And today we're reading Psalm 7, which you just heard really wonderfully read earlier. And we're, we're talking about praying for justice. And i got to tell you, I've had a really complicated relationship with this psalm these, these uh, past few weeks, past couple months now. I've had uh, uh, a lot of uh, prep time where I've had to really wrestle with some of these ideas, really wrestle with this idea of, of praying for justice. And I've gone back and forth on it. And, and uh, I mean, let me tell you, this is big. I think it's too big, probably, for one sermon. You know, all these ideas, all these ideas about praying... Um, are, are probably too big to capture in the, the 30 minutes uh, for a sermon, or if you're an Eastside pastor, 45 minutes. Um, that joke kills at Eastside Church. But I have to tell you, I, I think this one, that praying for justice, this is really big. This is really hard. And, and before you have any sympathy for me, I did choose it. But it's still, I, I think there's something about praying for justice that feels weird as Christians, Right? There's something about it that maybe feels wrong sometimes. Like, like some of the things that we read in the Psalms are not things that we're supposed to say as Christians. Like, okay, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 3, the context for this Psalm is that David is being hunted by his son Absalom, who wants to kill him. And, and David in Psalm 3 prays, Lord, would you strike my enemies on the cheek and break their teeth? That's David praying that for his son. Parents, have you been there yet? I'm only a year in, but I've not been, I've not been praying for that yet. That's hard, right? Or, or, or what about, you know, we think about praying for justice, and we think, well, maybe we're only supposed to pray for forgiveness. Like, like it feels wrong to pray for consequences or, or for things to be made right. Instead, we should only pray for blessings for others. Or maybe you even think about Jesus' words in John 8. When the woman is caught in adultery. And he says to them, you know, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. We say, okay, that's not me. I can't pray for this. I can't ask for this. Do you resonate with any of this? Do you resonate with how hard it is to to approach prayers for justice in the Bible? Do you have a hard time when you're reading, especially reading the Psalms? And man, we're having so much fun. God is so good. I love the love of God. I feel great. And then we hit Psalm 7 and it's a real buzzkill, right? Well, today we're going to consider, we're going to consider these prayers. We're going to consider what to do with them. And, and very importantly, we're going to consider why we ought to pray for justice. What we're going to see is that there's basically three steps in praying for justice. You get angry. 
to get loud, and then to get quiet. So again, in, in the biblical prayer for justice, there are three parts. Get angry, get loud, and get quiet. Are we excited? <laughs> I am. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would speak to us today by your Spirit. Speak to us through your Word. Uh, I pray that you would be glorified today. Uh, I pray that anything that is from you that we would, uh, or that would land in our hearts and we'd walk away and we would glorify you, God. I pray that you'd teach us how to pray like you want us to pray, how to pray for the things that you want. And God, I just pray uh, that anything that's not from you today, that you would leave to the side and discard. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, Lord, our God and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, the first step, get angry. And if you're like me, you're already uncomfortable. And that's okay. You know, we have a lot of baggage in our culture around this idea of anger, especially anger in God or anger in religion. You know, you get a preacher on stage and he's talking about getting angry or God forbid getting angry and I am antsy, right? And, and our culture has very specific baggage around this idea, don't we? But it's interesting because the Bible really embraces anger. It embraces anger and indignation. And yes, we all know the dark places that anger can go. Ephesians 4, Paul talks about some of these pitfalls. But it's interesting, the Bible does not shy away from these feelings. Instead, we see that anger is a really common thread in praying for justice. It is especially clear here. Open up your Bibles, if you're not already there, Psalm 7. And we're going to look at the first few verses, and then we're going to skip to the end. So I'm going to reread verses 1 through 5 again. And listen, listen for what David's feeling when, when we read this. It said, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I've done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I've repaid my friends with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, then let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. And, and then skip to the end, verses 14 through 16. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. And he makes a pit, digging it out, and he falls into the hole that he's made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull, violence descends. And David, he's clearly angry here, right? He's hot. Because he's saying two things. He's worked up for two reasons. First, that these people, his enemies, are attacking him. And they're saying things about him that aren't true. And second, because he looks out in the world and he sees a lot of messed up things. A lot of people doing messed up things to each other. And so he's getting angry about that. And in both of these, it's that same thread of anger. That he looks out in the world and then there's something really not right with what's happening. Things are not how they ought to be. And that makes him angry. And when we do, we call that injustice. People abusing each other people attacking each other, slandering each other. And David insists that despite what these 
enemies are saying, he's not wronged them. He's saying he's innocent. And, you know, not in every way. Not without fault. But here, he's not done what they've said he's done. And yet, these guys are coming at him. And, and they want to tear him apart. Do you see the imagery that he's using? He, he calls them hungry lions that want to devour. I did a lot of... Uh, you know, in prep for this, I watched videos of, of lions hunting. Have you ever watched this? Oh my gosh. So I watched this, this video of this, this pride of lions in, and, uh, in the savannah, and they're, they're on the edge of starvation. They're so desperate that they hunt elephants. And so I watched this, this pack of lions hunt uh, a baby elephant. You know, they isolate the calf. And this thing, even the baby, ten times the size of one of these lions. Ten times. And yet, man, they take it down. And, and what they do, prepare yourself for this, parents, little kids. What, what they do is, is they, they go for the weak points. You know, the, the elephant's skin is too tough for them to attack, and so they have to look for weak points in his legs. And, and they attack his joints until he can't walk. And then he's down. And then they just swarm him. And then, and this is so gruesome, at the end, like, he doesn't, like, he doesn't die before they start eating. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you see this picture of, of lions? And I, I wonder, I wonder if any of us have experience with people that are like this. I wonder if any of us know what it's like to, to feel attacked and, and torn down and, and torn apart. I wonder if we know what it's like to feel surrounded by what feels like hungry lions sizing us up. I wonder if we know what it feels like to be torn apart. My guess is that you do. And you know the anger that David is feeling when he looks at what these people are doing to him. And you should. I want you to hear that. You should feel that. Anger is an appropriate biblical response to injustice. And very importantly, the anger doesn't just come to injustices done to us. It comes when we see injustices done around us. That same feeling of anger that, that moves us to action to protect us and our loved ones is the same good biblical feeling of anger that we should respond to the messed up things in the world. And our culture, I think, actually has a better grasp on this than many. You know, our, our culture is very big on protesting, demonstrations about when, when we think things are really messed up in the world. And I think sometimes as Christians, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to engage with this kind of stuff. It's hard when we see these, these protests and these things. It's hard to know what to do because sometimes it feels wrong to, to respond in anger this way. It feels wrong to, to feel such a simple emotion over such a complicated thing, right? Name, name the issue. But what's interesting is the psalmist, he doesn't shy away from anger. No, he embraces it. And look, I know that might be uncomfortable. It is for me. 
But I need you to know that God gave you anger for a purpose. Anger is the fuel by which God lights the fires of justice. And here's what I mean by that. Anger is designed to move us into action. It is not inherently evil or broken. Rather, it helps us. It helps us to notice when things are wrong. And of course, you know, we're humans. We're not very good always at discerning what is right and wrong. But the response is not inherently messed up. It doesn't mean just because our perspective is skewed that anger is necessarily. And we see that because in the Bible, there's a lot of really important, really good figures that get angry. You know, Peter got angry. Paul got angry. Moses, David, Elijah, they all got angry. And man, if you need a better picture of this, our Lord Jesus. Do you remember the scene when he came into the temple and he sees these people money changing? they're, They're extorting the poor. And they're prohibiting people from coming to God and offering sacrifices. Do you remember what he does? Guys, this is a wild scene. He makes a whip. He starts throwing tables over. He's driving people out of there. He is angry. And this, friends, is a display of anger if ever there was one. And let me tell you, despite what our culture might say, it is a good thing that our Lord gets angry because it moves him to act. And and that brings us to our second point today. After we have gotten angry, we need to get loud. And specifically what I mean is we've got to get loud to God. We've got to cry out to him with these things that we see and ask him to move. And, and what we do is we've got to get bold and persistent. You know, in every prayer for justice in the Bible, the, 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 the prayer will inevitably say something that like, makes me uncomfortable with how bold it is to God. And our passage is no exception. Look at, look at verses 6 and 7. He says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. So let's, let's unpack this image, these images here. I mean, do you see like the words that David's using? He, he's talking about, awake, Lord, arise, get up. And it's like, it's like David is standing there and he's seeing these people close in on him. And he's starting to sweat. He's getting nervous. He's like, God, are you listening? God, are you there? Can you hear me? Can you hear the desperation there? He's angry. He's afraid. And it's like when he looks up, it feels like, it feels like God's not doing anything. He doesn't see relief coming. And he's using these words like arise, awake. And it's, it's like you get the picture that, that David thinks God is napping. Or something. I mean, this reminds me of a scene in the Gospels. Do you remember this when, when Jesus and his disciples are in a boat out on the water and they're fishing and the storm rolls in? And do you remember the, the, the storm is going crazy and it's rocking the boats and the disciples think they're going to die? And, you know, the, the different Gospels capture this, but I, I love the way Mark captures this. 
Because the disciples are freaked out, and, and they wake Jesus up. You should imagine them shaking him, right? And, and they say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? He's like, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die out here. Wake up. What are you doing? Of course, Jesus wakes up. What does he do? He tells the storm, calm down. And it stops. And, and then he, and he says this thing to them about having faith. And, you know, so often we hear that story, and that's the part we focus on, right? Oh, they should have had faith. Oh, they should have had faith. I think it's really interesting. We miss, like, the biggest part of that story. It's that they asked Jesus to help them. He woke up, and he helped them. And, and in fact, that's, that's what the disciples walk away with. Mark tells us that, that they're asking themselves, who is this guy? I mean, even the winds listen to him. And see, they, they didn't walk away downcast because they had failed. They were amazed. They were putting the pieces together in their minds and they realized this is the Lord with us. And they knew when the Lord speaks, things happen. And that brings us back to our passage today because we, we have to see that praying for justice is completely predicated on the idea that when we pray, that the Lord hears and that He acts. When we see these in terrible injustices around us, when we experience them, we have to get loud. We've got to bring that to God. We have to cry out because He hears those prayers. And friends, the psalmist tells us, man, these things make him angry too. And I'll say it again, that's a good thing. It's a good thing because it means he's going to do something about it. See, in almost every prayer for justice, we see this pattern where the, the person gets worked up. They get angry. And then they appeal to God and they appeal to his justice. And in almost every one of these prayers, we see something like this. Look at verses 10 through 13. It says, My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Do you, like, do you see the image here? Do you hear what this is saying? It's like, it's like he's comparing God to a king preparing to go to war. This is, this is battle imagery. It says, you know, before you go into battle, you, you take time and you prepare. You make sure you have everything in order. Make sure your, your sword is sharp, and that's what it means that he'll wet his sword. Make sure you've got your your arrows, your bow, your, your weaponry in order. And in this image, God is like a king preparing for war. Because the idea is that, is that he's been provoked. He's been provoked by his enemies. You know, they, they've harassed him. But, but so importantly, they've harassed his people. You know, they've trampled his people's fields. People are starving now. They've gone in, into the streets and, and they've, they've killed his people. People are dying and the king sees this and, and he says, this will not go on. 
But it's interesting, he, he, he doesn't just fly off in a blind rage. Do you see that? He's thoughtful. He's preparing himself. He's getting things in order. And, and very importantly, it says he's waiting patiently. He prepares and he waits and he waits for repentance. Did you see that? Even preparing for war, he's waiting for repentance. I mean, what a, what a beautiful picture. Even here, our God is so patient, isn't He? It's really important. <laughs> we can't confuse patience with inactivity. No, God will move. God will bring justice. It says He is a righteous judge, meaning that He can accurately and perfectly discern between right and wrong. And that's good news because that's what we need. We need somebody who, when they look into the world, can perfectly and accurately know right and wrong and to divide these two things. And it says because of that, He will judge the world. And if you weren't uncomfortable yet, here we are, right? Here we are talking about judgment. This is it. This is a very big conversation. The big one. If you have questions about this, you should find Pastor Nate and ask him later. Or me. I'm happy to talk about it. This is a hard thing for us to talk about, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard for us to talk about God's judgment or the wrath of God. What I, what I want us to do is I want us to consider something. Consider a little image, a little thought exercise. And, and what I'm going to argue again is that this is actually something that we want. Okay? Let's consider this king again. Let's consider the same scenario. Let's say that, that for years, for years, enemy kingdoms, people are coming in and they're destroying crops. And so we're years into a famine that the enemies have caused. And, and let's consider that, that for years... The people were coming in and, and killing the people. Let's say, even within this own kingdom, people are killing each other in the streets. It's rampant. Now, if this king were to not act for so long, if he were to just ignore it, would we call him a good king? Or would we call him an apathetic king? What if he said, no, 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 but I'm, I'm gracious and patient. People are dying. And you're doing nothing. And in the same way, guys, we, we want a God that gets angry. Because friends, when I look out into this world, I see a lot of messed up things out there. I see, I see children being sold into slavery. I see leaders abusing their people. I see people who should be speaking truth, manipulating and taking advantage. I, I see husbands hurting their wives. I mean, like the list goes on. There's a lot of messed up things out there in the world. And we need to get loud because we desperately need the Lord to do something about this. Because I don't know if you know this, it's bad out there, guys. And you know, 
It's bad in here too. And that's why when we're praying for injustice, praying for justice, the the last step is that we have to get quiet. And we see that. We see that when when David really pumps the brakes on us. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. And suddenly, David's starting to introspect a little. And I think it's really key that we do too. Because when we do, we realize that we have a problem. We just established that God is a God of justice. And that He really does test the hearts and the minds of people. And that He judges perfectly. And if we really believe that, then when we consider what is in our hearts and minds, it's, I mean, it's normal to get uncomfortable here. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, man, all of those things out there in the world that make me angry, they're in here too. Right? Like when someone wrongly accuses me, (coughs) comes after me, it makes me angry. I mean, haven't I done the same thing to somebody else? Haven't I justified myself in that situation? <coughs> or when we see people hurt others. You know, I, I think about I think about somebody hurting my daughter. It makes me so angry, right? But man, if I'm honest, haven't I spoken too harshly? Haven't I hurt her? You see what I'm saying? This is just an example, but if we keep going, we're going to see it in ourselves too. We're going to find these things in here too. And Jesus said that, uh, and we all know murder is bad. Murder is wrong. Jesus very famously said, Sir on the Mount, you have contempt for a brother. brother. You're answerable for murder. It's not good for me. If we're honest, we're in a little bit of a predicament when we pray for justice from a good God. Because we find all kinds of things in our hearts and in our actions and our past that, that don't align with this. And so what do we do? Here we're at the catch-22 of Christians praying for justice. Do we get loud about justice and pretend like there's nothing in us that's messed up? Or do we shortcut and we get quiet because, well, I'm no better. Who am I to say anything? And the answer in the Psalms is both. It's both. Both are necessary and important. And as Christians, we ought to be able to live in both spaces more than most. 
Because as people who know the law of God, who know the things that God says are good and the things that God says are evil, we should be able to see and to be vocal about the messed up things in the world. We should be loud about the things that grieve our God, right? And as Christians, as people who know the law of God, we should be very aware that all of those things out there are here too. We should know that we're no better than anyone else. In our culture, you know, the world can only produce one of these two. They can make people who are passionate about justice, or it can make people who are humble and quiet. And I, I think it's really only the gospel that can do both, that can make us both. It's something very unique to Christianity because it is a unique feature of the gospel. Because on the cross, we see this, that we see God's justice on display. Jesus, the Son of God, the only truly innocent human, went and died. You know, he was the only one who really could say David's words. If I've done this, God, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. He's the only guy who really truly could pray this. And yet, he was judged according to our unrighteousness. And he rose, defeating sin and death. Guys, in the gospel, we see God's justice on display, and it's not quite what we would have expected, right? It's not the way I would have thought to do it. Rather than hanging the guilty there and pouring his wrath out on them, God hung his own son on the cross and poured his wrath out on him. And he brought justice to the wicked but in such a surprising way. He paid the price himself. In doing so, he genuinely righted wrongs. And so now we have a different perspective on these things. We have a different perspective in light of the gospel. Because now we know without a shadow of a doubt that God takes this injustice very seriously. You see the cost? So seriously that God himself had to die. But at the same time, we see the love of God so on display that he wants to deal with it in a way we could never have imagined. And so when we see the brokenness in our world, friends, this is really important. We can't let our own limitations stop us from praying for it. Whether you're innocent or not, whether you know the solution or not, whether you can do something or not, we've got to ask God, the Lord of justice, to intervene. Because He's the only one who knows how to set things right. And we find that we are similarly guilty. The answer is not just to say, well, okay, I'll shut up. Well, the answer is to get even louder. But this time we're getting loud about the injustices in our own hearts. With the same passion and fire that we pray for others to get their lives together, we've got to pray for ourselves for justice to come into our lives. And see, this is, this is what I'll say. Our problem as Christians is not that we're passionate about justice and hypocritical. Our problem with, as Christians is that we're not passionate enough about justice. Because if we were, man, we'd be first in line to get ourselves fixed. So we've seen, here, here we are, we've seen the steps. 
the three steps. We get angry, we get loud, and then we get quiet. We respond to the injustice, we cry out to God, and then we humble ourselves. But really, I lied. There's a fourth step. The fourth step is to get ready. Because we have to pray for the Lord to come and fix these things. Because again, this is too much. It's too much for any of us to set straight. And so we need to pray for the Lord to come into our world and fix all the messed up stuff out there, including ourselves. And we see this in the very, one of the very last verses of the Bible. All the way at the end, Revelation 22.20. After all the visions, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And amen, come Lord Jesus. And so really, really pray for justice. We have to pray for King Jesus Himself to come back and to fix this messed up world and to set things right. So, would you join me and praying for King Jesus to come soon. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, just echo the words at the end of the book of Revelation. King Jesus, come soon. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we look out this world and, and we see a lot of messed up things. And we know, God, that, that You, in sending Your Son to die for us, and raising on the third day. We know that You have defeated sin and death. And Lord, we eagerly look forward to the day when You will come back and You'll set all things right. Lord, I pray that uh, as we go from here, that You would uh, teach us, continue to teach us how to pray for the things that You care about. How to pray for messed up things out there in the world and in our own hearts. We pray, Lord, that You would set things right and that you would bring justice, God. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.